0: Welcome to All About Almodovar, an introduction to loving the films of Pedro Almodovar. I'm Ingu King, a critic at The Hollywood Reporter, and joining me is an absolute Philistine who saw his first Almodovar movie four weeks ago. Slate Podcast producer Daniel Schrader, say hello. Hey, Ingu. Over the course of eight episodes, with a bonus or two, Daniel and I are going to go through the best and the most notable of Almodovar's 21 movies which span from 1980's Peppy Lucy Bomb to 2019's Pain and Glory. Almodovar is a giant of international cinema and he's also one of my favorite directors. But with such a formidable body of work, it can be tough to find an entry point.
1: Yeah, that's what scared me off for so long.
0: So let's rectify that. Today for our first episode, we're going to discuss my first Almodovar film and Daniel's 1999's All About My Mother. Which, as you might guess from the title of this podcast, is the movie I would put forth as his greatest.
1: So it's all downhill from here.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Anyway, since this is the introductory episode, I'm going to talk a little bit before we get to the movie about why he's considered such an important filmmaker. Daniel, as someone who loves movies, but isn't super familiar with Almodovar's work, what do
1: you know about him? I mean, I think the main things I knew about him before was that he is extremely camp and I want to wear his hair as a wig.
0: <laughs> he does have this Jim Jarmouche pompadour that he has kept very consistent, just like a cartoon character for like the last 30 years.
1: I mean, it's a great brand to have. But yeah, I mean, I didn't really know a lot about him when I was younger, I, I felt like it was going to be work, like I was going to have to put in effort to try and love his work and come to understand it, as opposed to just jump right in and go crazy. So many of my favorite movies are things like *Josie and the Pussycats, at Psycho Beach Party, where what I love about it is the ridiculously extravagant nonsense at the edges of it, while the Like, actually, bad movie is playing out. And (laughs) what it turns out here is that Almodovar has all of those beautifully extravagant edges going on throughout. And then he also has a great movie inside of it. Exactly. And so I'm just so excited that you have tricked me into this.
0: (laughs) I think what's also really great is that there's so much suspicion traditionally about surfaces. You know, it's so much of it is sort of coded in these terribly hideous ways of the female or the homosexual as loving artifice and also tricking other people. And so much of his work is sort of about like the delight and sort of like the meaning and the feeling of those surfaces and saying, actually, like all of this stuff matters, too. So after seeing your first Almodovar, how are you feeling?
1: Having now watched All About My Mother, I am upset with myself for having never seen it as a teen. I think it would have meant even more to me then than it did now because of its uh, deep connections to theater and things like that, which is certainly a part of my childhood. I try to forget. But um, (laughs) you never live down your theater kid past. So anyway, I'm thrilled to keep going with his work, but this was, I, as you know, I've now watched it almost three times.
0: Yes, which I find vaguely terrifying, but I'm really glad to see what like new layers you've uncovered in your new watches.
1: So what about you, Ingu? Obviously, you're the expert of the two of us here. So what's your history with Almodovar?
0: I very randomly found his work when I was 15 or 16 through some review of All About My Mother in Time Magazine. I think the reviewer was Richard Corliss, but I might be wrong. And I thought, oh, that that sounds really interesting. It doesn't really look like any movie I've seen before. I eventually rented it at Blockbuster Video. And it was just like one of those movies where it completely blows your mind because it opens your eyes into what a movie can be, what movies are allowed to talk about, who movies are allowed to star. I think a really good example, I will get a lot into this, is that here's a movie about two trans women, one of whom is a father. And the fact that, you know, like in the late 90s, I definitely remember trans characters on shows like Ally McBeal but like at the time even if trans characters were sympathetic they had to die by the end of the episode right
1: the only thing I know about Ally McBeal is that there was a dancing baby at one point
0: yes uh, somehow there have been no dancing babies in Pedro Almodovar movies <laughs> which actually seems like a very him thing to do. But in any case, it was also one of those movies where it's so good, you have to seek out all of the other movies by the same director. And so I think, you know, I went to college, I ransacked the college library for all of the other Almodovar movies. I took a class in Spanish film, just to like have a greater sense of where Amoldova is coming from and what other... Things Spanish film has to offer and I know you love Penelope Cruz Daniel
1: God yes I mean I like vanilla sky was one of my favorite movies I saw as a kid for no reason I can remember because there's no, none of the plot I could tell you at this point but just it's truly no reason that
0: I can remember either But I think that one of our bonus episodes should definitely be us uh, watching Abre los Ojos or Open Your Eyes, which is the movie that was remade into Vanilla Sky.
1: Yeah. I mean, I love Vanilla Sky so much that a quote from it was on my Facebook page all throughout high school. I just...
0: What's the quote?
1: (laughs) Well, Penelope Cruz said it and she said, She's the saddest girl to ever hold a martini
0: wow that's really deep man
1: <laughs> thanks thanks i was a really intellectual child um.
0: <laughs> i really love that this podcast is going to be like an excavation of all of your worst habits and preferences
1: yeah it's it's really just going to reveal that <laughs> i am an utterly useless human being whose taste should never be uh considered but um
0: and yet we both love almodovar exactly Um, Just to, like, have a very quick run-through of who Almodovar is as a director. He's been working pretty consistently over the last 40 years. He tends to write his own scripts, and he has his own production company, Deseo, the logo of which you see in, like, very bold red letters at the beginning of every movie. And because he has his own production company that is run by his brother, Agustin, he has the freedom to shoot all of his movies, in sequence, which is, I think, one of those things that basically no one really gets to do anymore. Almodovar is primarily known as a woman's director, which is sort of like an antiquated term, but something that I think is like fairly useful. Basically, he loves movies about women. He loves melodramas and sort of like repurposing and modernizing the melodrama genre. And he loves actresses, which we will see in all about my mother. But he was also really monumental in bringing more queerness into Spanish film, especially in the post-Franco period in which he's worked. Francisco Franco, the Spanish dictator, died in 1975. And afterward, there was this huge liberalization of the culture called the Movida Madrileña, which translates to the Madrid scene. And basically, that liberalization of Spanish culture is something that he's always been associated with, and that he is probably the greatest artist of that movement, but I think also what's really great about Almodovar, and we'll definitely get into this a lot with All About My Mother, is that he is this like, very wonderful mix of personal obsession, but also this warmth and generosity of spirit. And sensuality. And so even though there are so many ways that we can sort of intellectualize his work, I think something that's really great is that if you come in totally cold with an Almodovar movie, they're pretty accessible. They're gorgeous to look at. The music is almost always just like beyond next level great. So, this is not like a Christopher Nolan author. This is someone who loves people. <laughs> maybe not straight men. but that's okay.
1: Uh, they don't deserve it. They don't the thing is they don't deserve it. Yes. well, and i also I also think that like part of the reason that he is so interested in the stories of women and is so interested in melodrama and everything that comes through so specifically in all about my mother is that, there's a safety in femininity, there's a safety in womanhood, there's a, um, a comfort, but also a mystery there to what femininity is, to what womanhood is, and so it's so much more interesting than boring straight guys. Like, I'm a gay guy, and I'm not interesting, so like, <laughs> I'd much rather spend my days wondering about the complexities of these women than the men that fall around them
0: I mean, no refutation here. Let's get into All About My Mother. And before we start our discussion, we should say that we're going to be medium spoilery with the movie. So if you want to go in completely cold, maybe come back having seen All About My Mother. But I think with Almodovar, his movies are so lush and dense that even if we do spoil a lot of things, I think you will constantly be surprised by other elements.
1: Yes, you should watch it two, three, four times.
0: Like Daniel it's has.
1: The most rewatchable.
0: <laughs> so All About My Mother is about a woman in her late 30s named Manuela. Uh, She's played by Cecilia Roth, who is an Argentine actress, and Manuela also is an Argentine immigrant to Spain. She's the single mom of a 17-year-old boy named Esteban. And on the night of Esteban's 17th birthday, they go to a Spanish production of A Streetcar Named Desire. Esteban sort of runs after the main actress's car, And while doing so, he's hit and he dies. Um, And so basically, she takes a train from Madrid to Barcelona in order to tell Esteban's father that his only child has died. And when Manuela goes to Barcelona, she meets up with her old friend, Agrado, who is a trans woman sex worker.
1: Played by Antonia San Juan.
0: Yes, And through a series of coincidences, Manuela ends up working for the actress whose autograph her son wanted. Manuela also meets Rosa, played by Penelope Cruz, who is a pregnant nun who also needs a place to stay because her own extremely conservative mother really detests the work that Rosa does to get sex workers off the street. And so we have Manuela, we have her Friend Agrado. We have the actress Uma Rojo, played by Almodover mainstay Marisa Perez. And we have Penelope Cruz's Rosa. And so those are sort of like the main cast that we're working with. Daniel, so when I was trying to get you to watch this movie, I said it was really funny and that it wasn't sad at all. And then, like, Manuela, the main character's son, dies, like, within the first 20 minutes of the movie, I think.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. Not sad <laughs> at all. Definitely wasn't sobbing my way through this both times that I've watched it. <laughs> but...
0: But it's, like, not a depressing watch at all.
1: It's not. It's There's a reason why I have found myself caught... drawn into it every time I've watched it. When... You started watching it a second time on your own. I remember you messaging me that like, oh, wow, this is just so watchable. Because it is. It's fun. It's funny. And its sadness is also punctured with humor. One of the funniest things at the beginning of the film and where I started to realize the skill of humor that Almodovar was playing with was that Manuela's job in Madrid is to work in the organ transplant unit of a hospital. And we see her acting out a scene in an instructional video of how doctors can approach grieving family members to ask for them to sign off on organ donations. And then not 10 minutes later, we see her actually living through that same pain that she had to act out because her son has just died and they want to give his heart to somebody that can use it. And so while it is this gut-wrenching scene of this woman having to accept that her son is dead, it's also hilarious because of the juxtaposition of the role she was playing and now that it's real. It's
0: like ironic funny.
1: Exactly. Yes. Yes.
0: And it sort of, like, allows you a little bit of, like, detachment. And I think that this is, like, one of the first instances where there is this constant blurring of the lines between real life and the stage or the movies or...
1: Yeah. And to that point about detachment, like, one of the reasons I hate watching so many melodramas is that I get so caught up in the emotions so easily. I fall for scams quickly. I am so good at being tricked into things. So I'm very suspicious of them before they start happening. So one of the reasons I was nervous about these films is because I didn't want to have such intense feelings about things. But then seeing this heartbreaking scene play out, I feel like a trust in him that the emotions he's getting out of me are real and um, matter, as opposed to are just here because that's what the story beat wants.
0: I think there's sort of this element of like, it takes all of the emotions and all of the grief that Manuela undergoes really seriously. But at the same time, it doesn't sort of let you wallow in that grief because the movie has other places to go.
1: That's exactly it. Well, and the movie has so many other places to go, because this is all in like the first 15 minutes of the movie. There are so many branching little pieces of story that this movie could pursue, and yet it doesn't. And that's part of what makes this world feel so full. It's... I just want to live in it. That's why I keep watching it so much. I'll probably watch it after this.
0: (laughs) I think its characters are also really well-crafted. I think Manuela is somebody who is like living in this whirlwind of emotion, and yet she's really stoic at the same time. I think Uma Rojo, who is this lesbian who is playing Blanche Dubois, is in love with the addict actress who plays... Stella, who is, like, her sister, on stage. I think Agrado is probably the best character in the movie, or certainly is sort of, like, the most winsome. She gets this beautiful monologue about how nothing about her is really real except for, like, the feelings that she feels and also, like, all of the silicone that she's injected into her body. And I think Penelope Cruz is sort of this, like, beatific nun, and yet, at the same time, there's something sort of sad about her do-gooderism. They're all sort of like existential orphans. And I think one of the beauties of the movie is seeing these four women come together and form a kind of chosen family and sort of become a part of this world in which there aren't really any men because you can't rely on any men to take care of you. So you just have a bunch of these women who have nobody else come together and support each other.
1: Yeah, and... They all play with they all play the mother at different times. They all are fulfilling this role for each other in different moments. So you have Uma, who is in love with I, I didn't realize she was in love with the actress that plays Stella. Because to me, that love felt much more maternal. That's what that appear, that's how that appeared to me. And then like you have the scene where Manuela says to Rosa. You don't make me mother you. Like you already have a mother. Why are you trying? Like, why are you trying to get me to be your mother? Because you already have one, and it is this idea of the mothers that were given are not necessarily the ones we need.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't soft pedal the difficulty of caring for other people. I think it's also really interesting that there's sort of this suspicion of heteronormativity or it's sort of this difficulty of acceding to heteronormativity in two of like the big intertextual pieces of this movie there's A Streetcar Named Desire as we have already discussed which is sort of about Blanche's, I, I don't know how you would call that, like I think a lot of like her fate at the end of the movie is like not being able to sort of conform to the mores of the time and so she's sort of like outcast and then there's All About Eve which we see very briefly at the beginning of the movie when Manuela and her son are watching it on television and they're talking about it. And something that I really love about what Amadova is doing with these texts is that he obviously loves them. He loves their theatricality. He loves sort of like the grand damn roles that they offer to actresses. But like at the same time, those movies are sort of unremittingly tragic and sort of can't see a way out for older women who don't have like a place in hetero society anymore. And what I really love about All About My Mother is that it takes these women who have been sort of cast out or choose to opt out of heteronormativity And it gives them this community among themselves. And so it's not like you've aged too far or you're no longer attractive to straight men and therefore like you have to go to like a mental asylum or something. It just sort of takes all of these women who are so beautifully detailed in their own right and allows them to find solidarity with one another.
1: Well, and I think having watched uh, Streetcar Named Desire recently and All About Eve, I think what he's also getting at is that the reason that these women, the reason that Blanche falls apart at the end and gets carted off is because she doesn't have that female support. So much of the play is her and Stella in tension with each other and fighting as opposed to supporting. And so part of what he could be saying is that the way to Get through trauma. The way to work through pain is that supportive community of women, and that if you don't have that as you age, then you do get carted off to the asylum. You do.
0: You had spoil. Nina, you, who is uh...
1: the actress who plays Stella. Yes, and a streetcar named Desire is a play that has really been an integral part of Manuela's life. Which is interesting, actually, because the play by Tennessee Williams and the film, starring Marlon Brando, actually have different endings. In the play, Stella is comforted by Stanley as Blanche gets carted off. And in the film, Stella takes the baby and says, "I'm never coming back here again." And Almodovar seemed to pick and choose a bit of each of the endings to create the one that he wanted he needed for this film. And to me, it just highlighted motherhood as it's just another role that women play. It's just another character that they assume. Motherhood is not all of who they are. Just because we as kids only think about our mothers as like more than human. And it's not until we become adults and realize that our parents are flawed individuals that we realize that, oh, they are just human and that they have been playing the role of mother, but they didn't even necessarily know how to play it when they first started and they got cast in it. And so by acknowledging that, he is humanizing the motherhood experience but also making it much more universal in that anyone can have that experience of being a mother and we should all embrace it even if we're scared of it because
0: So when are you becoming a mother Daniel?
1: Um well I actually
0: <laughs> I think the other really interesting thing about this movie is that Esteban is so obsessed with who his father is because Also he's when- just so cute. Yes. Because uh, Manuela has kept his paternity from him, like, his entire life. And so for his 17th birthday, he says something along the lines of, like, I was almost going to ask you, despite knowing how painful the subject of fatherhood is for Manuela, like, who my father is. And Manuela says, I'm going to tell you tonight. And then, of course, he dies. And it's... Something I really love about the irony of this film is that Esteban is so obsessed with his father, but he really barely knew his mother. And so the idea of watching Winuella sort of go to her past, so to speak, and figure out like a way to become whole again, in a sense, by like, forging her past with her future. Ah, it's such a beautiful movie.
1: It really is. And I think the point you're making also gets to the idea that children never know the depths of their parents as people. And it's only when we become adults that we understand. We start to see that history more honestly. And it isn't until after her son passes away that we see her life open up to us.
0: Something I really love about the way that like the first part of the movie and like the middle part of the movie connects together is this idea of the malleability of the body because the first part of the movie is so much about organ transplantation and then you sort of eventually see it happening. Not, like, literally, but it takes place within the movie. And then you have these constant reminders that Agrado has had her nose done and her cheekbones done and her chin done and her breasts done. And in her best monologue, she even gives you a catalog of how much she's paid for everything. And I, like, really love the simultaneous celebration, but also this kind of, like... Not a resignation, but a complication of that celebration at the same time of agrado and the malleability of her body, because so much of it is about saying, well, this is like her authentic self. And sometimes you just need to like buy who you really are in order to feel the way that like you need to feel. And at the same time, she is a sex worker and she says like, I need to have my huge dick essentially and also these giant breasts because that is what's in style and that's what my customers want. I don't think we really get like a sense of what her ideal body is per se, but at the same time, she is like both someone who works really hard to look like how she wants to look. And like in Twitter parlance, she's like a neoliberal subject, right? And I think that's something that really adds so many layers in that it's really humanizing of this trans sex worker, but also sort of like, well, this is what a trans sex worker would have to go through.
1: Yeah, as you said about the when she lists all of the the monologue she has where she lists all of the surgeries and everything, one of the most beautiful parts of that monologue is that she says, it costs a lot to be authentic, and you can't be stingy with these things because you are more authentic the more you resemble what you dreamed of being. And to me, what that means is finding an authenticity in artificiality, is finding the real through the excessiveness of fake.
0: And also like the inventedness, right? This goes back to the idea of these created families. And I think it's also something that we can talk about in terms of how the movie looks because it's so full of saturated colors. It's it's just
1: like... It makes me want to scream how Manuela says, oh, sure, you can come over to my apartment. I just moved in. It's a mess. And you <laughs> walk in and it's one of the f- most fucking beautiful places ever. I just want to rip my hair out
0: yes it's basically like noisy wallpaper on top of noisy wallpaper on top of noisy wallpaper in like a way that really works and i think something that you really have to admire well, and that's
1: that just seems, that's like the whole film the whole film is just noisy wallpaper layered on top of itself and <laughs> it's perfect
0: There's something about like that artificiality that makes it more authentic. I think we can also talk about this in terms of Almodovar's use of the color red. His colors like in general, but I think especially with red and how saturated and fake looking almost they are. But I think it gets at Almodovar's palette a lot of the time, sort of being not specifically how things look, but like the way that they should look based on like your emotions and like your viewpoint and so i think that like, he's someone who is really able to make reality even more real if that makes sense and it's one of those things where it's really again it's a very accessible to look at you know and yet there's so much emotional maturation in his films not all the time which we will get into but like this movie is basically like exactly at the halfway point of his career so far. Um, and yeah, he definitely got there.
1: Well, and I think, as you say, like the, the colors, they're so lush. The and, and it's like the oversaturation of color oversaturates your emotions. And I mean, it's just pretty. Like, it's just pretty to look at. You, <laughs> I, I'm dying. I want to go to Spain immediately. I am re- I'm desperate to get there whenever I can. But I also think that the artificiality helps serve the purpose of timelessness because I think that the specificity of place in this makes this film live forever. I also think that the specificity helps highlight the universality of the story and that like these women are going through things that women have always gone through and will continue to go through and pulling in these other works such as a streetcar named desire all about eve the play that uma is preparing at the end lorca's blood wedding point to the idea that these tragedies these feelings have been felt by women before these stories aren't new There are these thi- they're things women have gone through time and again and that the way to weather these pains is through the communities that they build around them.
0: And I think that's a good place to wrap up the discussion. Before we finish the episode, sorry, Daniel, I'm going to expose you to some trivia that I probably should have said at the top of the hour.
1: Great. Can't wait. <laughs>
0: Um, All About My Mother was actually very well received when it came out. It won the Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film. It also got Pedro Almodovar his second Goya uh, for Best Feature. The Goya being the Spanish Oscars, and I can it got him Best Director. Um, this is a fun piece of trivia. So a thing that we know about Pedro Almodovar is that there is this thing called like a chica Almodovar, which is basically sort of like this group of actresses that he likes to collaborate with over and over again. And Cecilia Roth, who starred in this film, is one of them. Uh, he, she appears in several of his films, including Labyrinth of Passion from 1982, in which uh, I think it's great that she plays a pop star named Sexilia. <laughs>
1: That's perfect. Uh, she's great. I really loved her, and I, I'm i dying to meet the rest of his muses.
0: Uh, this is actually really good news for you, because next week we are going to discuss probably his most famous muse in the U.S., one Antonio Banderas.
1: Ugh, I can't wait.
0: We are going to go back to 1988's... Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, which features a very hot Antonio Banderas and a very notable set of earrings.
1: I'm just on the verge of a nervous breakdown thinking about Antonio Banderas from the 1980s.
0: Uh, that is the correct response. Thanks for joining us at All About Alma Dovar. This is Ingo King.
1: This is Daniel Schrader.
0: And we'll see you next time. Take it away. On the...
1: <laughs>
0: on, <laughs> shut
1: the fuck up. I'm trying to talk.
0: You, God, that's exactly what I need. Another white man talking over me.
1: Hey, you're the one that decided to do this podcast with me.
0: <laughs> My mistake.